And now it's time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie with your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. Thanks so much for tuning into the show today. We really appreciate it every week when you tune in. Tune in. And if you're new, if you're new I want to welcome well, you to the show and we will have some explanation of what's going on here, what the format is in just a moment. My name is Mike Schmidt, as you just heard, and with me is Gary Jones. How you doing, Gary? I'm here this morning, doing good. Mike. We're the elders of the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. And we bring you this show, We Are Just Christians, as a way to introduce this community to the idea of being just a Christian, not part of some denomination, not caught up in the traditions of men and so forth, but based only on the scriptures as we can plainly read them and understand them and try to be united together. It's not about being divisive. It's about being united. The only way we think we can do that is to all agree to follow just the scriptures. That's the basic idea. We cover a lot of different topics. It is a live call-in show, and so we welcome your participation in the show. I'll give you the numbers in just a moment, but rest assured that when you call, we're not trying to bait you in some way or set you up. We want to have your, your opinion, your understanding or your question put forth. We'll have a discussion with you, if possible, about that and try to give you some scriptures to look at as we go along here so you can then take your take the scriptures and form an understanding of what God says. So that's the idea of the show. You can reach us uh, live on the phone by calling 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the call-in number. And we'll put you right on the air. Uh, I would remind you, in case you're new to this, that there is about a one-second delay. So we'll try not to walk all over you. And if we have trouble communicating, just be patient with us, and we'll let things catch up. But there is a a delay between what we hear and what you say and what we say and what you hear. So that can create problems for non-professionals like us. But that's the case, 772-340-1590. You can also reach the show by texting us. We have two text numbers. One's mine, one's Gary's. 772-260-6120 is my number. 260-6120 is my text number. Gary's text number is 772-260-6220 is his text number. 772-260-6220. So you can text us. In fact, we got to text Gary. Uh, just before the show began, I want to talk about this morning. And so uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. But you're, you can feel free to text us not only during the show, which we'll try to respond to in some way, but you can also text us during the week and we'll try to communicate with you in that way. So some people do that. They like that better than calling in. It doesn't really matter to us one way or the other. We've kind of given preference over the years to those who call in and are waiting on the line, and we might still keep doing that, but it seems like we get just as many texts as we do phone calls these, day, these days, and that's okay. But we will be glad to communicate with you if you want to call in 772-340-1590 um, is the call-in number. So the show is about being just a Christian. The show is about trying to go back to the Bible and look at what it says and read it not through the lens of uh, traditional history or what some church fathers say, not reading it through the 
lens of secular understanding of the world, but to try to take the Bible for what it says. And, the, and then we learn there how to be saved and how to live. Now, one of the questions we got, a text question, Gary, it's probably bit, somewhat been on people's mind, and I've heard people kind of obliquely refer to this in the last couple of weeks because of this war in Ukraine. It's a question on eschatology. That's a fancy word. Eschatos is the Greek word for the last or end. So eschatology is the study of the end, literally. It's the $50 word for the study of end times. Yes. And so the question is, are we in the end times? And in one way, I say yes to that. That's not the question on the text, but that's what's generally behind this. I say yes, and the New Testament does not predict another age of the earth beyond this one. During the Old Testament period of time before Christ, the prophets were predicting another age on the earth for the earth that was the age of the Messiah. Now that the Messiah has come, according to the New Testament, I believe the inspired writers are saying this is the end times. There's no other age coming except the end of the world. Now, I believe we're living in those end times, and we have been since Christ came. This is just the last age. That's how I view that. And so these prophecies that people read, sometimes they're taken. you got to distinguish the ones from the old and then from the new. They are slightly different. But the Old Testament prophets, I believe, from Acts 3 and verse 19 and a few other places, the Old Testament prophets prophesied of the days of the Messiah and the apostles, right. not of the days that we're living in. And, and one of the most clear examples of that is Daniel. Yes, but I mean, specifically, the scriptures say that everybody that prophesied from Samuel onward, Peter says, spoke of these days, the days that they were living in. So I'm going to take all those Old Testament prophecies and throw them back into that period of time, because that's the period of time that I believe is being talked about, specifically says so. And I mentioned Daniel because Daniel is the most clear of those that it's pointed to. He he has a lot of, he deals with a lot of world powers and things like that. Now, now the other. then the question becomes, what about prophecies in the New Testament, um, like about the man uh, about the man of sin in First Thessalonians or in Second Thessalonians, or some of the pro- what are prepared to be prophecies in the Book of Revelation? What are they about? Well, this question that the text that we got, let me read it to you. In the this is from Jason, in the Gospel of Mark. And recalling a previous series of eschatological questions I had had, Gary, if I recall, had indicated that the end times had happened in the first few decades A.D. Mark 9.1 implies that there were those alive during Jesus' lifetime that would not taste death till the kingdom of God had come with, with power, it says, or in all its power. Is that one of the verses that leads to the conclusion that revelation has already happened in some sense? Or, and he, by revelation, he means the book of Revelation, right. the prophecies. The book of Revelation has got a capital and I, and R I, there. And I would have to say yes, but it's not <clears throat> the only one by any stretch. Not the only one. Well, why don't we start then, Gary, uh, by reading – you got Mark 9-1 in front of you there? I, well, I, actually, there's there's three of them. Okay. There's Matthew sixteen twenty eight, Mark 9-1, and Luke – uh, 927. Uh, and while they're almost identical there, I think they're not quite identical. One of them says with power, 
Uh, Matthew 28 says, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Mark 9, 1 says, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. And Luke uh, 9, 27 Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. So pretty close, uh, pretty close. So the, the conclusion would be that with respect to the kingdom coming, that some right. people are still waiting for a lot of dispensational millennialists popular on TV and other places say the kingdom has not come yet. There's some pretty old people out there, according to right. that, this passage right, right here. here. Yes. Unless the kingdom came with power when Jesus was raised from the dead and Christ sent the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 to the apostles on the day of Pentecost, if that's the coming of the kingdom, as Peter says it was, Peter says that that was the coming of Christ being seated on David's throne. He says this in Acts 2. So that would mean those people that Jesus was speaking to before his death would still be alive later on after his resurrection. And yet, in the book of Revelation itself, in, in chapter 12 and verse 10, the only mention of the kingdom have, having come uh, begins in, uh, I'll just read Revelations 12, 10 and following. It says, Then I heard a voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who has accused them before God day and night has been cast down. That's also uh, at the sounding of one of the trumpets, okay, I believe. So that's the only mention Mention that I have have found found in in the the New Testament Testament of the the kingdom having come. Well, he says, but he says in Colossians 1 that we have been translated, already been translated into into the the kingdom kingdom of his dear son. There's a lot of things, and you even go back into Luke while John was preaching, there were people entering into the kingdom. So this precise instance throw of the switch of the kingdom being in existence one time and in the next instance are not being in existence and then in the next instance being in existence is not consistent with scripture it just doesn't seem to be that way i don't i don't think i understand what you just said gary I don't well think i'm I i'm, I'm thinking a lot of people view the coming of the kingdom as as instantaneous over a particular event i'm not sure that that's what the scripture says. When we go back to Luke, he says the kingdom is being preached and people are entering in. That's since John. It says since John, that's been happening. So John was teaching yes. repentance and he, and people were coming into the kingdom. We look at the day of Pentecost. Well, I'm going to tell you that from what I can read, that Christ being seated on the throne of David happened at his resurrection. Yep. So, so if that's the so, establishment of the kingdom, which is a pretty good sign, then that's when that happened. Whether that was the coming with power or what it says, you know, this this passage in Revelation implies there's some other events. We look at these things. There's some other things that go to this, too, in Revelation. If you're saying this, basically, he says from the beginning, things that will shortly come to pass. Uh, depending on when you well, see the, the, the confusion comes in. We got yeah. two callers on the line, Gary, but the, the confusion comes in because I think of the misunderstanding of the word for coming or with the idea of kingdom. Yeah. C- coming does not mean always mean in the Bible by any stretch of the imagination, the second coming. Yeah. 
Well, okay. Christ like came in, in the book of Revelation. Right. It's like you said in the beginning, there are two end times. The end times of the Mosaic law with the coming of the Christ, that's one end time. The other end time is basically the, the finish of this earth and Jesus coming in final judgment. I'm really, sh I'm really unsure of how many specific prophecies we have of that second one. Yeah, that, okay, that's, that's, that's the my problem. problem. Yeah. That, that's the problem. There, there may be a, what we might call end times, but everything in, the, in dispensationalism, in modern dispensationalism, gets shoved to the last few years before Christ comes, if that. So you, you've got to... You got to analyze that. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to keep answering this question, but we've got a couple people on the okay. line, so let's go see if we can uh, uh, take take those. Maybe they have something to do with this, and then we'll get back to Jason's question. Okay, Ken, first, uh, are you there, Ken? Yeah, Mike, I'm here. Um, I got a, a question for you. Uh, has to do with your Bible study on Sunday morning. Okay, uh, that we've been we've been discussing uh, the table of nations or Genesis. I'm not sure exactly what you. Yeah, genealogy. Okay. Um, anyway, you said something that kind of threw me off a little bit, and I wanted to make get a clarification on Imagine it. Imagine that. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> uh, you were talking about uh, uh, Ebers, and the Jews came from the Ebers. As descendants yeah, right. of Eber, the man Eber, one of yeah. Shem's descendants. Yes, go ahead. Okay, so um, that threw me off a little bit because uh, I think, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you meant Abram came from Eber's because he wasn't a Jew until he. Uh, in the covenant and was circumcised. Well, okay. Let me see if I can I mean, clear up what I may have say. said. What I may have said here. H hang on one second. Let me think about what. All right. What I'm get. What I'm referring to. Let, let me go find the verse here. Exactly. Um, e Eber. E B E R. In Genesis chapter 10, it says, and the children were, and children were also born to Shem. Now, that's one of Noah's sons after the flood, who is the father of what we call the Semites. Among the Semites are the Hebrews and later the Jews. And we'll distinguish those two in just a moment. But the ch and children were born also to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber the brother of Japheth, the elder. So it says Shem was the father of all the children of Eber. Now that leads people to the under, to the belief. And he, go, he mentions this Eber a couple times. Eber's two sons in chapter 10, verse 25, were Peleg and his egg days, the earth was divided and, uh, and, and so forth. And you've got two or three mentions of this man, Eber. There's not a lot else in the Bible about that. What I what I said in class was that a lot of scholars think that this man Eber, his name is where the word Hebrew comes from or the name of the Hebrews. And so the descendants of Eber eventually 
a specific branch of those anyway, because there's lots of descendants of Eber, but they, a specific branch of those became known as Hebrews. You'd have to trace that line, like you said, through Abraham, and then from Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob, who became Israel, to get to the children of Israel. So Eber is way back there, a, a, a descendant, uh, an ancestor of Jacob. What I wasn't saying that these people became Hebrews when Eber was alive. I think that they took their name. Some scholars think they took that name Hebrew as descendants of Eber. But it's obvious that was a pretty broad family. I mean, the Arabs are also Semites. And the descendants of Esau are also Semites because they're descended from Shem. Now, then you have this other problem of the difference between a child of Abraham. Abraham had two children, Ishmael and Isaac. The chosen Messiah came through Isaac, not Ishmael. And then Isaac had Jacob and Jacob became Israel and had 12 sons, as it were, and they became the 12 tribes of Israel. So that the Israelites were our descendants of, of Abraham in that sense. But it's also true, as the New Testament points out, and Jesus even points out, that Abraham was not a Jew like they were a Jew. The word Jew didn't come into existence until sometime after the, cap the second captivity in Babylon. And it is a shortened version of the word Judah, because almost all of the surviving Jews that came back to the land, not all, but almost all, of the surviving Jews that came back to the land after the Babylonian captivity, the most prominent of those were the descendants of Judah. And they were taken from the tribe of Judah and the kingdom of Judah, mostly around Jerusalem. And they became known in a shortened word as Jews. So by the time of Christ, they're called Jews. In the book of Nehemiah, they're called Jews. And as Ezra, they're called Jews. But they were not called Jews at the time of Abraham. And they were not called Jews at the time of David or the other prophets. They were just called Israelites. Um, so, yes, there is, I'm not sure the, the direction of your question, but that, that's what I was getting at. That this word Eber is thought to be the basis of this word Hebrew. And from that, from the descendants of Eber come the Semites, and then come the children of Abraham, and then come through from Abraham, then come the descendants of Israel, and then from those of the 12 tribes of Israel, from one of those comes the name Jew, that is Judah. So anyway, does that make it worse or better? No, no, that, that clarifies it. That clarifies it. Because this, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm thinking. Abram, when he was called, and I've got to call him Abraham yet. When he was called, he was Abram. He was no called Jews. what? When Abram, when he was called, was a Gentile. There were no Jews. Well, there, there was no such thing as the chosen people yet or Israel yet. Yes, right. that's true. Right. So when he changed, had his name changed and was circumcised, then he became a Jew. Well, he became, he became the, the father of the faithful, as it were. Yes. Right, right. Now, uh, 
The other thing is, uh, his wife, Sarah, his name was changed to Sarah, right? And her son, uh, Jacob, changed their name to Israel. So there's many, what I'm getting at is, yes, uh, Jews consider uh, you're Jewish if your mother is Jewish, not your father. Yeah. So you see, Abraham was basically the first male Jew, and Sarah was the first woman Jew. So, uh, let me put it this way. You're not born a Christian, right? You're not no. born a Christian. That's part of the prophecy that we talked about maybe last week in Jeremiah 31, as it mentions in Hebrew, that you that that they will not say each man to his neighbor, know the Lord, for all shall know me. You, you don't become a Christian at birth and then have to get taught about Christianity. You become a Christian by knowing something as an adult, as a grown-up, and then you become a Christian. So you have to know the Lord before you can eat. Modern, modern Israelites have to know the Lord first, not be born into Israel and then and then uh, come and then come to know the Lord. Does that make any sense? But there's uh, a second birth. But it's a, it's the okay. second birth. That's right. It, and that's the birth that makes you a Christian and makes you a child of Abraham. A, a, the father of the faithful. So I'm saying, you know, the, I'm comparing the circumcision really to baptism. Well, Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 24, compares circumcision to baptism directly and says that, that baptism is a circumcision made without hands. And so it is directly the connection between becoming a Christian as a Christian and the Jew becoming a Jew by being circumcised. There's a direct connection there mentioned by Paul in Colossians 2. And the Bible says that Abraham was justified uh, by God, by his faith, and it it had nothing to do with him being, as it were, a Jew, but as one who was faithful. That's the point he's making in the book of Romans about this. And... um, so that makes, as it were, all of us, that, that makes all of us who are Christians sons of Abraham by faith. And in that sense, it makes us Jewish, if I can use the word in, in that way. I'm not trying to diminish being Jewish, but I am saying that that's, the, that's who is part of Israel now. And Romans, Romans chapter 2 kind of makes that point rather clear. That he in verse 28, Romans 2:28, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor a circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men but from God. The word praise there is a play on the word for Jew, which means praise. So uh, Judah. So he's saying that the Jew is is the one who's been circumcised in the heart through baptism, not one that is just been circumcised on the outside. And and that's why and that's why circum that's why Paul can say, as we just had a text, I'll get that in a moment, that 
circumcision, meaning physical outward circumcision, doesn't avail anything. It doesn't matter to God one way or the other. You can be circumcised or not. It's the circumcision of the heart that occurs, according to Colossians 2, by the working of God, by the operation of God. Baptism, he says, that makes you a Christian. So, yes, I consider myself of the tribe of of Judah, an Israelite, because I am uh, a son of Abraham by faith, the Bible says. Now, those are all, you know, you have to understand what each of those concepts means, I suppose. You want to add any more to this, Ken? Yeah. Where do you disagree with that, or do you agree with that? Oh, yeah, I agree with that. The reason I ask this question because I'm not going to be here this morning. I have okay. to uh, help a sixth grader with their math today. So that's why I'm bringing okay. it. So you, I won't be here you were wanting to get some clarification. Sure. Uh, maybe I'll try to clarify that for people. I, uh, I can't tell you. I can't tell you certainly, and I, th- I hope I made that clear in class. Maybe I didn't, that the word Hebrew comes from Eber. That's a supposition. That's that's an intellectual um guess maybe it's a very good guess but it it does make sense in the way it's used but he's a very very distant ancestor of abraham and finally then of christ eber is because he's of the tribe of shem shem is an ancestor of christ all the way back to flood to the flood all right i appreciate that very much you got anything else and we're going to move we're going to move along i guess Okay, well, I appreciate that very much, Ken. We did get a comment from um, uh, John, and we're going to have to go back to the original. Uh, back to the original. Um, original. Oh, wait a minute. We, I think we've got another phone call. Oh, okay. Uh, you want I think Jerry's on the phone. Uh, Hang on one second, Jerry. I think Gary wants to say something. Well, no, no. Let's let's go ahead and okay. take Jerry. Okay, Jerry, what's on your mind today? Morning, guys. Uh, uh, Gary mentioned uh, the Trump Pentecost, and I know that Lent and Advent, as far as I understand, I mean, they mean the same thing. Uh, well, I would want if you could give a layman on understanding of what Pentecost is, and I have attended uh, a few Pentecostal services and just. Uh, and something I, you know, I can't understand. So it will so make sense to me. Uh, Pentecost. I'd like to listen off of Mike. Is that blow okay? Okay, that'd be fine, Jerry. Appreciate that. Now these are timely questions because I guess we just entered. And, and look, uh, I have I, I sign an apology. It's a statement of fact. G- Gary and I d- are not up on some of these liturgical holidays. <laughs> of the church year as many people are because we do not believe that they have a basis in the bible the ones have a basis in the bible in the new testament we are we know something about or practice but the ones that are not part of the new testament we're we're not experts on so uh, you'll have to pardon our ignorance or generic speaking about them because uh, that's just not of great interest to us i suppose like this term advent advent There's no particular holiday season in the Bible. The New Testament, let's start backwards. We we do this every year. The New Testament contains no traces, according to historians, like 
Philip Schaff, the greatest Christian history historian in the church. According to Philip Schaff, the quote is directly that the New Testament contains no traces of any annual festivals whatsoever, whether that's Advent or Easter or Christmas or whatever it may be. Advent is means to come, and so uh, this is the holiday that's around what we would call Christmas. It begins somewhat before December 25th, and so the Christian churches have broken down the events of the life of Christ beginning in uh, sometime before December into a church year. And so the whole year gets divided liturgically, that means by services and by worship, into these events. You have Advent, and then you have this baptism, and then you have Pentecost, and you have these, other, and then you have the resurrection, the crucifixion. You have all these parts of the church year. Now, the New Testament contains no information about those things beyond recording the history of those things, telling us the historical beginnings of of uh, understanding of what happened. Doesn't tell us what to do about those things. Gives us no rituals, no worship, nothing to do with annual holidays. That's all an invention of men and their traditionalism. And so people get caught up in things like like uh, uh, Lent. <clears throat> uh, I guess that began this past week, 40 days or so out from Easter, and it varies according to the calendar. They didn't even establish Easter on the basis of the Passover. Easter came in so late that it was established on the basis of pagan festivals and pagan new moons. This is an astounding thing to me, Gary. I, I know well, I sound this way every year. Even, it's an astounding even the, even thing. The, even the establishment of Christmas as a date is related to those things. It's, yes, it's got nothing to do with the events of the Bible as far as when we celebrate it. So, so, so forgive us if we don't pay a lot of attention to those things. Yes, as such. And I encourage you to put, take them all with a grain of salt because there's simply not anything in the Bible that tells me what to do about those or that I should do anything about those things, much less give them a name and require you to give something up for Easter, you see, or for Lent. This is something that came about in the Middle Ages or later than that even, giving up something for Lent and the idea of going to church on Ash Wednesday and having them put some ashes on your forehead, form of a cross, and you giving all of that is Catholic tradition. There's not one word about any of those things in the Bible, in the New Testament. And so, therefore, I, I can't sit here and recommend these things to you as if you should practice them. These are these are things that, as the Book of Colossians says, these are ordinate and these are ordinances of man, Colossians 2.20 through 2.23, which appear to have a self-humiliation in them. They appear to be right. They appear to have humility, but they are not of any value against the indulgence of the flesh. These will not be of some spiritual benefit to you as such because they are not given by God. They are traditions of men as such. So here's the difference, Jerry. Advent refers to the time around the birth of Christ. Uh, and so liturgically, historically, that's around what we would call Christmas. Lent occurs around 40 days before whenever they set the e Easter at. 
not 40 days before the Passover. Christ was crucified at the time of the Passover, which is a set time in the Jewish calendar. That moves in the English calendar a little bit, but we can still know what it was. But but the church, the Christian church, uh, the Catholic church separated Easter from the Passover. The Bible puts them together. Catholic church separates them. And then they moved Easter based on the full moon and the first full moon after such and such a time. And 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 uh, and you get this moving in the calendar. And then 40 days before whenever they decide that is each year, you begin this period of Lent of which the Bible says nothing. It has a it's supposed to be referenced referencing the 40 days that Christ fasted in the wilderness. Uh, I think people should give up wearing a mask for, for Lent this year. Maybe <laughs> that's what they should do, probably. Well, but but I'm just saying they had to give up something. That's and, not. To and say this that, is all human custom. Yeah, but that's not to say that fasting is not mentioned. It is mentioned in the New Testament, and and we would. I fasted. We, yeah, I fast. We, we we do those things. But but, but I don't have no, a time when God says do it forty no days. But there's no set day for that or period of time. And the church can't regulate that for you. And, and have a holiday around that because it's simply not there in the Bible. So, so uh, we'll see. And, and Pentecost, now, Pentecost is a reference to a Jewish feast, feast of the Lord, a feast of ingathering, of harvest, which occur, the word Pentecost is Latin for 50 days or 50. And so it occurred 50 days after the Passover. I'd like to say that the Old Testament Jewish holidays have some value to us in that we might understand better some of the things that God intended for us to understand through the understanding of those holidays. But there is no requirement in the New Testament to celebrate them. No, that's right. Uh, they, they are all fulfilled in Christ. Okay, all right. the Old Testament feasts of the Lord. And they, in Leviticus 23, they're called feasts of the Lord. I don't even call them feasts of the Jews. I guess you'd call something like Hanukkah a feast of the Jews because it was established by the Jews. It's not a commanded holiday uh, as a feast of the Lord in Leviticus. But in, those in, feasts in the, of the Lord in the accepted canon. And what? In the accepted canon, you can read about it in. Well, you can read about it in in, in John ten, for example, the yeah. feast of dedication. But it but it was not given by God Himself, and and the feasts of the Lord are all. Uh, fulfilled in Christ and his life in the Messiah. And we've talked about that on this show before. But the ones that were those are the ones that were established by the Lord. Now Pentecost is one of those um, one of those days. It says in Acts chapter two, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, uh, they were all one accord in one place. This is fifty days it literally means the 50th day. Uh, it's it's the harvest feast, the second of three great Jewish feasts celebrated at Jerusalem every year, according to the, diction, the Bible dictionary. The seventh week after the Passover in recognition of the completed harvest and thankfulness. So here's Christ being crucified at the time of the Passover. He tells them to go back to Jerusalem and wait. He, he stays on the earth after his. Let's see if we can get this, get this straight. I keep having to go backwards, Gary, <laughs> and explaining <laughs> things. But Christ was crucified the Passover. He stayed on the earth after his resurrection for 40 days, it says. 
And then he tells the disciples, go back to Jerusalem and wait for power from on high. They go back into Jerusalem. He ascends to heaven. They go back to Jerusalem. And 10 days later, in the day of Pentecost, when it had fully come, it says, that the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles on that day, and they began to speak in different languages, and they preached repentance and baptism for the remission of sins in the name of Jesus Christ, not in the name of Moses. So this is the first preaching of what we would call the gospel on the day of Pentecost. So Pentecost is a Jewish, a feast of the Lord, the feast of harvest. And that fits with what Peter was doing. Peter preached to all nations in all these different languages. There were men from every nation gathered there. Now, they were not per se Gentiles. They were proselytes and Jews. The proselytes were Gentiles by birth, but had become Jewish by faith. He preached to all those nations and lists those nations gathered there in Pentecost and tells them to be baptized for the remission of sins. He didn't speak just to Jews as Jews, but to the tribes of Israel. He was speaking to all these men. So Pentecost is the gathering of the harvest of the nations that God had told Abraham that in your seed all nations shall be blessed. This is the beginning of the fulfillment of that at the Feast of Pentecost. So that's the connection. I, I don't. They are connected, but they're not connected, Jerry. So well, I, I would you. say... Pentecost was a beginning. The The teaching of the gospel to Cornelius was a beginning. There are several beginnings that expansion we see of that. as yeah. we expand and, and see those things. That's one of the reasons why I go back to our original question. When you say you have to define the coming of the kingdom, it was made up of several different things, not just one event made the kingdom what we would call complete with power or whatever, you got to define that. And so you see several phrases in the book of Revelation and in Luke 16, 16, uh, says the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. So the kingdom was... It, began, it began to be preached yeah, in the days of John. And but, it, I don't, but the Christ didn't sit on his throne until his resurrection. What, but that doesn't they were, necessarily mean that that's all that it was going to be. In other, that's another part of the establishment of it. Uh, and you read the passage in, uh, in Revelation. It says, I heard a loud voice saying, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of our Christ have come. For the accuser of, there's a connection there, for this reason, the accuser of our brethren who has accused them before God day and night has been cast down. So there, there are other events that go into this. It's not just flipping a switch or one precise event. They all come together to give a complete picture. Well, I guess that I don't want people to get confused and think that that still process of st establishing the kingdom is still going on. This no, is, it's this not is, still going on. This is on. a past event. No, no, I, I'm not, I'm not meaning to say it's still going on, but it yes. took place in the first century. And part of that coming quickly and that some standing here will not taste death until they see the kingdom come with power. There's even another interesting verse that I would say in Revelation 1. Um one seven. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. While basically you go back to some standing here will not taste death is looking forward to something. This one is actually seems to be looking back to the revelation. There are people that are going to see this that were there at 
the crucifixion. So the, yeah. there are things here that well, the coming with co- the coming doesn't necessarily mean second yes. coming back from heaven. Right. And that's, that's what we see in the book of Revelation. This right. coming that's, is not him coming back from heaven, the second coming. No. All throughout the book of Revelation. Throughout that's that's one of the points. This second coming this this coming in the book of Revelation, that these are events that must shortly take place. In, in Colossians chapter one it says, giving thanks to the verse twelve, Colossians one twelve, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us or translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. So this is a, for these people in the book of Colossians, being in the kingdom of Christ is a past event. They've already been, and it's yes. speaking of their salvation, not of some historical event. Their salvation right. conveyed them into the kingdom. Of his son of his love so they weren't looking forward to the kingdom in the way that people today say they should be looking forward to the kingdom of god coming it's already uh, it's already here in that we can all come into the kingdom and been made partakers of the saints and of the saints now, now in reference to our first question that we had i'm not saying that this is the end of time it can't be it's shortly to take place it's been two thousand years at a minimum since this was written now, toward the end of the book, he talks about a thousand-year reign, but that's not a literal, at least in my view, that's not a literal numbered on your calendar thousand years. It's just some unspecified, very long period of time. And that then begins to fade into things that are future events. But that's not what's generally in the book of Revelation. At least that's my view. We had a text that, Paul's gospel would not sell when you told the men that they need to be circumcised. And so Paul changed his message. I don't remember any change. I don't remember any apostle ever by the authority of the New Testament of the Christ teaching men that they had to be circumcised to become a Christian. If they did, that's the part that Christ condemned. There was a whole council on this. Oh, yes. And and that's that's just simply something that was not present. The Jews wanted to be present. The people were circumcised in the beginning because they were all is uh, all following the law of Moses. But the Gentiles were never required to be circumcised. As far as I know, they were never under any commandment to be circumcised. And that was clarified pretty early, very early on, although some wanted to be different than that. And that's why circumcision is not required today by God, not the circumcision of the flesh, circumcision of the heart through baptism is required but not not the other so in any event uh if you want to go back to the original question i I don't want to shortchange jason because we got a couple the the only thing i'd say to jason is there is no simple answer that is a thorough answer i can give the short forms and the the short form answer is yes those passages that he looked at are some of the reasons why i think revelation 4 the most part well, is well, it's, past. It's, it's okay. either, it either happened in the first century, short answer, or we have some very old people walking around today right, exactly. that haven't seen the kingdom of God come. And this is a big this is a big problem for for dispensational millennialists. Are we? These are we? Are we've got are according to problem. Revelation, we've got some people who saw the crucifixion still walking around today. Yes, and and that is simply uh, it's simply not what the Bible is saying. You could say, oh well. I, if you told me if the Bible said that 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 was true, I would believe that. But the Bible doesn't say that that's true. 
That's something that they've made up as they go along. Now, the Bible also is pretty clear about the idea of a an earthly king. There's a lot of talk today about Gog and Magog, and I thought I think I thought I thought that's where he was going with this. Maybe or did we get did he bring this up? Maybe not. But um, the idea that you know Russia is Gog from the land of Magog and so forth and so on. And so since Russia is involved in this, of course that's what they were saying. <laughs> that's what they were saying back in the time of um, of um, oh. Hitler. Yeah, yeah, Second World War Second because World Russia War. was involved in this. That it, this was the end of the world because. Gog and Magog are involved, and we don't know from the Bible standpoint that Gog is Russia or Putin. That's complete, absolute, utter speculation. In fact, when you bring the idea of – in the Bible, you have it in both ways. You have Gog from the land of Magog, and you have Gog and Magog. So yeah, it's so. used simply, and what that tells you is not that there's a contradiction in the Bible. What it that tells you is it's used as symbols. That's right. right. Of, of the people who are enemies of God. It's not used of a particular nation. Um, it's not used of a particular nation. It's used of the idea of the symbols of the enemies of God. And then so you have this contradiction of the, uh, of, uh, not a contradiction. You, you have this confusion. I'm saying the wrong thing. You have this confusion in people's minds about uh, what that means. If you look in Jeremiah 22, though, and I did, I want to bring this passage up again because I think it is a extremely important passage for people who are looking for the fact that since we have a war, and this war has nothing to do with Israel that's going on right now. People trying to make it have something to do with Israel has nothing to do with Israel. What's the what Jeremiah? But, well, I'm going to get there. Say that, that we have this confusion about. Uh, whether this is Gog and Magog and what, what's going to happen. This is the ushering in of the Messianic kingdom and so forth. And Christ is going to return to the earth and establish his earthly kingdom. He was thwarted from this in the first place. They say he tried to come and establish an earthly kingdom, but was unsuccessful. He failed. Which and ignores so, other scriptures. Exactly. Which, which then, since he failed in the first century... Ryrie and the Dallas Theological Seminary and all Hal Lindsey and all the premillennialists say he failed. And so therefore, he set up a replacement organization. The church is just a replacement for the real kingdom. And it's a placeholder, a parenthesis in history, they say, until the actual kingdom on earth can come. Well, let me read you something from the book of Jeremiah. What's the verse? 22 uh, is the verse and verse. No, that's the chapter, right? Yes, I'm sorry, chapter 22, verse 28. Okay. Now, Coniah in this verse is Jeconiah, the last king of Israel, sitting on David's throne. He's a descendant of David. He's in David's lineage. Yes, and when you read the book of Matthew, he's, he's David's lineage, therefore he's in Christ's lineage. He says, is this man, Coniah, a despised, broken idol? He's the one who's been carried away into captivity by the Babylonians. Jeconiah is, or Coniah. Is he a vessel wherein is no pleasure? The answer to that, of course, is yes. Wherefore are they cast out, he and his seed? They are cast out into a land which they know not. O earth, 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 
hear the word of the Lord. This is for emphasis now, Jeremiah says. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childless, that is a man who will, who, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. So here's what it says about the seed of Coniah. It says, if he's a king in Judah, the, the descendant of Jeconiah will not prosper. If he is a if he is a seed of Jeconiah, sitting on a throne in Judah, Which Jesus he will was. not prosper. Jesus is the seed of Jeconiah. He's sitting on a throne right now. I believe he's sitting on the throne. The millennialists like Lindsay and other people, and all they're all over the internet and TV right now preaching that this kingdom is, hasn't come yet and it's going to come and that he's going to that Christ is coming back after he destroys Gog and Magog he's going to come back and sit on the throne in Jerusalem well this verse says he can't prosper when he does that what they say is he's going to come back and set up the most glorious kingdom that's ever existed in the millennium in Jerusalem sitting on the throne now here's the difference yes Christ is of the seed of Jeconiah and he's going to sit on the throne He's, his throne is not in, Jer- in Judah, though. It's in heaven. And that's the very point that Peter makes in Acts chapter 2, that David's be- dead and buried. But God, had, he prophesied that one would sit on his throne. And the, and the prophecy was fulfilled in the resurrection of Christ. And then it says that he's ascended back to heaven and was seated at the right hand of God on the throne of David. So Christ is now sitting on the throne of David. So this kingdom of David that's going to be restored has already been restored when Christ was raised from the dead and seated on Christ on his throne in heaven, and has, not in Judah. And has been that way. It's been for, that way. And that's almost, why I say we're in the end Almost 2,000 years. He's been sitting on this throne, ruling in his kingdom. This is the last day. These are the last days of the earth, not the last few years here in 2022, but the last days began when Christ was seated on on His throne, it's the there's no other age of Earth coming, there's no other time period of Earth coming. We're not going to see some great change and a new kingdom established some other time in the future. These events in Ukraine and Russia are not the precursor to those events. They may be the precursor to a change of earthly kingdoms. They may be the precursor to war. They may be the precursor to nothing significant. We simply don't know. They may signal God's judgment on the earth for the wickedness of the world. I don't know about those things. We won't know about those things until they're complete. And and there's no we'll, prophecy we'll, in the Bible about those. We'll, we'll, whatever it is that's prophesied in the Bible, we'll know it when it comes because we will see it at the end and its completion but we're not going to be able to predict what it looks like in the future. I, would tell, I can tell our readers that if someone asks you and I to do a radio show on all the verses in the Bible that refer to Russia and the United States and Ukraine, we won't it would a be a very show. short show. We won't okay? have a radio show. It would be a very short show if we did a, ver- a show on all the ver- And yet these other fellows can do whole hour-long sermons and radio shows on all these things, and they're simply speculating – Without any scriptural proof, they build one. It's called uh, the technical term. The scientific term, Gary, is a house of cards. Okay, <laughs> that's the scientific term for what they take one card and get it to stand up a little bit, then they put another card on it, and they build this whole house. Oh, it looks so good, but it's very. It just all falls because it's made out of cards, and that's what's happening here. They take one assumption 
and then they go from there and build all these other assumptions on it. And and Mike, I can't. I, see, I get very frustrated with it, as you can probably well, tell from the tone of my voice. Basically, I can't see when you start looking at the first century BC history that we know and the first century AD history that we know, and you start looking at things that are said in the New Testament, you can see those events unfold. They've already already. They've taken already place. happened. Um, that doesn't that doesn't sell books. That doesn't make exciting TV right. shows. That doesn't get audiences all whipped up into a fervor of fear like we're doing right now. And so. But how, how many? Let me ask you a question. How many of the people that are looking at that, reading about that, have actually gone and looked at what the first century BC history is concerning the land of Palestine or basically Judah? They have no idea. And and when it was, you know, how it how these things came into being, or the first century AD, what the Roman Empire did, and and what how the Jews fared. During that period, right? It's just, just people don't look at it. But when you do, you'll begin to see what happened. Now, the other thing that goes with this is if you go back historically, you will see that this premillennial teaching, dispensation, is a fairly new doctrine. The, all this business about Israel being restored to the land and God then coming and Russia coming in is all very new Christian teaching in the last 100, 150 years. But there have always been those who looked at world events and predicted the second coming of Christ. Always been a whole bunch of those people around ever since Paul's time. And Paul told them it's not going to happen yet. All these other things happen. And then they, even, then when the year 1000 A.D. came, big uproar over this. But what you see in history, Gary, and we're just happen to be living in one of those. There have always been these periods of time in earthly history where things are very tumultuous. It happens every few generations, and there's a study of the generational history. This one generation, because of the nature, their nature, they they do this, and the next generation, their children are this way. And we're just in one of those great changeover generations. This happened in the 1840s. That's when sects like the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and Seventh-day Adventists and all those eschatological sects were born, were born and birthed in those 1840s because of the great tumult of the times, the great awakening took place. And then that led us to the Civil War and, and in the United States and other places. And you had all these, you had before that, you had, the, you had the 1750s to the 1790s, all these great revolutions all throughout Europe, great tumult, and then it's preceded, it's, it's, it's followed by a period of peace and tranquility. We just happen to be in one of those type of, of modes. Maybe we've been in it since all of our lifetime. Maybe we're just on the cusp of it ending or cusp of another one beginning. Well, I don't know. None communication of technology has changed so much that things seem to be moving at a different pace. It may move it, more rapidly. That's right. It's, it's, it's going on. But my point is this, and, and something I think we should make, Mike, is that the church as the church is predicted in the Old Testament. It is not an afterthought. Yes, we haven't even got to that. It's not a parenthesis. It's not, not a parenthesis. It's not an afterthought. It's not a result of any failure. It was planned from the beginning. When you read what Paul says about the church and prophecy and how it came about, you're very clear. He's saying this is the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophets. And we've read those. We haven't got time left to do that today. But we're, you're we're, exactly we're, right about that. You're 100%. That's a good point for people to leave them on. We've got to understand that this was planned. 
I keep going back to what Job said about God. He said, Job said at the end of the book, he says, I know that any purpose of yours cannot be withheld from you. The idea that the, that the people would oppose the Christ and, and somehow God would have to do a substitute is condemned by Psalm 2, where the heathens rage and nations imagine a vain thing. And, and God says, in spite of that, I have set my king on my holy hill. So you can read Psalm 2, and you'll see God laughs at them, and derision he holds them when they say, right. he said his king already. And, now, and Job realized nothing that God plans to, have, to do yeah. can be withheld right. from him. Well, we got a couple minutes left here. Let me make this one last point, and that is, what, should you, what, what does all this mean? When Peter, in 2 Peter 3, is talking about the time of the second coming, instead of telling us all to save up all of our MREs and all the other things we have to do, people do today, and and do this and do that. He says, what manner of persons ought you to be uh, seeing that since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? So he, he, he has a practical application of how we ought to act if we do think the end of time is coming, if, if it's going to happen this way. And it's not something specific about what you should do about Israel and what you should do about Ukraine, how you should prepare yourself for the bomb shelter. And we got one minute left, so Gary, okay. so go ahead, or a minute and a half. What I want to say is when you read these passages about the end of – look to be about the end of time, the, th the comment that's made is not when it's going to be. The comment that's made is you need to be prepared for it. Yes, and we prepare by, by moral living, not, not by making sure we have enough ammunition right. to get through it. And that's the whole point. Because uh, you're not going to escape the final judgment. No, you're judgment. not going to escape. If it's the final there's, judgment. There's no escape. Everybody's going to see it. Nothing that you can do, flee to the mountains or anything else, has anything to do with the final judgment. Now, others, we haven't got time for this. Others to say, well, you're conflating the time of the tribulation with the end of the time. We, we can talk about that in another show. All right. Our time is just basically gone this morning, and I appreciate those who called and texted in. I'm not sure we answered all the questions as well as we should. It's a huge subject, but we do encourage you to call back next week or text us. We'd be glad to hear from you. Take a look at our my apologies. website. Apologies, I couldn't make it simple. Well, no, it can't be done simply and completely simply, but uh, we, do, we do want to point you to our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. We'd like to point you to... Uh, where we meet, we meet at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie, corner of Savona in California on the southwest side behind the shopping center. Come and meet with us today, 10, 11, and 7.30 on Wednesday evenings. You'll find a group of people just trying to serve the Lord as basically as we can who are not part of some denomination. You're not going to be asked for money. So we hope that you'll come and join us, bring your family, and take a look. If you look on YouTube and Facebook, look up uh, Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard, or you'll find us there. Our services are streamed. Thanks for listening. May God bless you, and tune in again next week. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie.